Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. Well, suddenly, gun control, which never quite disappeared, is back in the full spotlight this week. On Wednesday, the Supreme Court will hear arguments in the first gun control case in a decade, whether a New York state law limiting the right to carry a handgun outside the home is constitutional. And also this week, a powerful new book out documenting the legal and financial problems of the National Rifle Association. In his new book, Misfire, Inside the Downfall of the NRA, NPR's investigative correspondent Tim Mack documents how Wayne LaPierre, longtime head of the NRA, led the NRA into the loss of at least a million members and millions and millions of dollars. Tim Mack also reports on latest efforts by New York Attorney General Letitia James to force the NRA to shut its doors forever. So does a weaker or non-existent NRA mean that the Congress might finally pass some common sense gun safety legislation? Tim Mack, author of Misfire, joins us on today's podcast. Tim Mack, good to talk to you again. Good to connect again. And thank you for joining us on the Bill Press Pod. Hey there. It's good to be here with you. Hey, thanks, Tim. So as long as I've been in politics, way before I even came to Washington with CNN, the NRA has been one of those the most powerful lobbying forces in this country. Is it still today? It's still a tremendously powerful organization, but at the same time, it is going through one of the most serious crises it's ever faced in its history. I mean, you have uh, a revolt by some of its members. You have a revolt by some of its board of directors. You have a financial crisis. Multiple congressional investigations have been done into the organization, and you have the New York Attorney General filing suit in court to try to dissolve the organization entirely because of what it said is tens of millions of dollars in inappropriate financial misconduct. So is it losing members? Is it losing um, credibility? Well, you know, the NRA has traditionally said that it has between five and six million members. At least that's what it was said in around 2019. When actually asked about it in a deposition for its bankruptcy trial, now remember the NRA uh, tried to declare bankruptcy last year, Uh uh, Wayne LaPierre said that their membership was 4.9 million. So at at the very highest, even even if they use some funky methods of counting members, uh, they're where they have been for the last five years or so. so the, definitely a lot of this reporting about the National Rifle Association's misconduct has affected their fundraising, has affected their membership. 
Right. So what what was the source of that? I was always curious, the source of the NRA power, because they really struck fear into the hearts of politicians, right? Is it because they had so many members? Is it because they gave away so much money? Uh, is it because of the gun manufacturers? What What was the strength of the NRA? Money, obviously, is super helpful. But I think when you talk to lawmakers, what they're most worried about from the NRA is having their switchboards just light up with NRA members calling, getting yelled at at a town hall, getting all sorts of letters and emails from uh, NRA members opposing certain kinds of legislation. I think that's where the NRA's real power comes about, uh, which is mobilizing their millions of members. That's something that, uh, that is hard to replicate. Uh, so they struck fear into the hearts of the politicians, and I guess the NRA got to its membership by striking fear in their hearts that their guns are going to be taken away, right? Hasn't been that, that that's their constant message? Yeah, and it's a big theme of Misfire, this, this book that I've written, um, that, that the NRA does really, really well during the Obama years and kind of gets fat off of uh, raising money during the Obama administration saying that the Obama administration is a threat to your rights to own guns. And it's during that period that the National Rifle Association actually does a lot of spending and inappropriate misconduct. Uh, after Donald Trump is elected in 2016, which the NRA did a lot to ensure, uh, there's a real cash crunch within the NRA. And that exposes some of the problems and financial wrongdoing that's happened over those years. So when did it all start to fall apart? It, it's a process that took some time, but I want to point to a period in around 2018-2019. The NRA is struggling to pay even its own employees. It, that's, it's in that much trouble. And huh. the NRA had brought in uh, someone you may be familiar with, Oliver North, to oh, be yeah. the president of the NRA. And Oliver North comes in, and he's, of course, uh, someone who's dedicated to the NRA's goals. But he didn't want to just be a figurehead. He wanted to try to fix some of these problems. And the more he investigated what was happening inside the NRA, the more he realized the rot was really very deep. Uh, he wanted to lead an internal audit of the NRA. And Wayne LaPierre and, and other folks inside the NRA just wouldn't let him. And this leads to this kind of climactic, uh, very dramatic confrontation in an Indianapolis hotel suite in 2019, which I describe in the book. You call it the weekend of hell or from hell, right? Is the- that's, that's right. All that comes about uh, because in 2019, uh, Oliver North is trying to get the NRA to be internally audited and, and figure out, hey, where are these millions of dollars coming and going? Uh, and Wayne LaPierre and other senior folks in the NRA are just refusing to let that happen. And so Wayne LaPierre actually wins out in the end and gets Oliver North pushed out of the presidency of the NRA. Right. So the rest of the NRA board, did they know what was going on? Did they know about the financial irregularities and just look the other way? I think the book shows that the NRA board was not particularly interested in knowing or finding out. That the NRA board is made up a lot of made up of a lot of members put there by Wayne LaPierre, and uh, the, who benefit a lot. 
personally and monetarily from being on the board. And it's also a very important part of their personality, that they're members of the NRA board. And so they've not done a very good job of overseeing the group's finances. I mean, if you look at some of the, the, the folks on the NRA board, very, very, very few of them, and there are 76 members on the board, Whoa. have any sort of personal background, any sort of resume that would lead you to think that they could oversee a uh, the, the National Rifle Association, which, which brings in hundreds of millions of dollars every year. Right. Now, you've mentioned Wayne LaPierre a few times, and of course, you can't talk about the NRA uh, without talking about him. You know, I've debated him several times on Crossfire. I was never that impressed with him. But um, he, he certainly, uh, for a while at least, did a good job leading and building that organization. The picture you paint of La- Wayne LaPierre is not the picture that we see of the public La- Wayne LaPierre that, that we that we. M- that we think of, right, or we normally see. You you paint a picture of him as being fairly weak, can't make up his mind, afraid of confrontation. Yeah, I mean, when you talk to folks who know Wayne LaPierre personally, what you see is a man who is deeply, deeply anxious and unsure and afraid to get into sort of any argument with anyone. Um, the book kind of opens with the scene, and we're in – we're at Wayne LaPierre's wedding in, in the in the uh, late 90s. I know. This is an incredible scene. I wanted to ask you about it. So go ahead. This is unbelievable. Yeah, so, so it's Wayne's wedding day, and he doesn't want to get married. He doesn't show up <laughs> on time for the wedding. Everyone is there at the wedding waiting for him. All the major characters of the NRA's future and and past are at this at this wedding, and he just does not want to get married. And his best man goes to him and says, I've got $100 on the dashboard of my car. Let's get out of here. Uh, Wayne somehow, despite not wanting to get married, gets talked into it by his, by his bride, Susan LaPierre. Ultimately, Susan LaPierre. And he spends the ceremony looking awkwardly everywhere but at his bride. It is just an awkward and weird event. Now, the, the point of telling the story is, is to kind of show how Wayne, over the last few decades, has, uh, has very little will to, to carry out a strategy. That the NRA's history over the last, since the 90s, while, while led by Wayne, has been one in which Wayne could be cowed into doing pretty much anything if people yell at him long enough and demand things strenuously enough. That's the nature of Wayne as a person. And tell us about um, the financial irregularities, or I mean, let's just, Wayne LaPierre was a big spender, right? He and his Susan lived a very, very uh, highfalutin lifestyle, all paid for by the NRA. You, You go into a lot of details in the book. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, so Wayne is someone who historically has not cared about the finer things in life. You know, when he was a lobbyist for the NRA in the 80s, he was just this kind of disheveled egghead type, you know, someone who's kind of more professorial, doesn't really yeah. care about his clothes, doesn't really care about fine dining, that sort of thing. But uh, after he marries Susan, things really change. Um, and, you know, Susan LaPierre is an interesting character in the book as well, because there's very little, I, I don't think there's much written at all about her in the past, but she's kind of a hidden hand in the National Rifle Association, where where Wayne is weak-willed. Uh, 
Susan LaPierre has a very, very strong personality. And that's something that I examine in the book. You know, Wayne LaPierre doesn't use email. So the only folks who are using what's ostensibly Wayne's personal email are Susan, his wife, and his personal assistant. As, as Susan LaPierre ends up having a tremendous amount of influence over the organization. Right. Uh, and I, as I say, and they were uh, spending big time private jets, very fancy vacations, right, to exotic spots, uh, all paid for by the NRA. We're talking trips to the Bahamas, trips to Europe, Lake Como. We're talking private jets in the millions of dollars, lavish meals, six figures in suits for Wayne. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And ultimately, the New York Attorney General's investigation into the NRA finds that over just this period of a few short years, uh, Wayne and a number of the defendants the New York Attorney General named have misspent tens of millions of dollars in NRA funds. And these are member, this, this is money largely raised by its grassroots, right? Folks who are members of the NRA, and a lot of them are, are blue-collar folks, who are putting five, 10, 15 bucks towards the NRA, hoping that it will kind of benefit a cause they believe in. But it's all going to, a lot of it's going to, you know, uh, all of this misconduct that we've, we've been describing here. Uh, you also mentioned a lot of it was going to pretty inflated salaries among the top staffers at the NRA. Yeah, there are, there are kind of two tiers of staff at the NRA. You know, the NRA is, when you look at it from the outside, it's this nonprofit. Right? And so a lot of folks end up working for the NRA for very low dollar wages, rationalizing that, hey, I want to work for a cause I really believe in. I'm willing to take a pay cut to do so. So many of the employees at the NRA are paid pretty low wages compared to what their job description is. But the other tier of the NRA is the folks who make it to the very top, the executives, people like Wayne LaPierre, people like uh, you know, folks who end up on the board and benefit from being on the board of directors of the NRA. There's this two-tier system, uh, one in which folks are treated really poorly and, and one in which people are treated very lavishly. You say something in the book that I was surprised to read. Um, I have always felt that, that particularly lately, that the NRA, the strength of the NRA and, the, and most of their resources came from the gun manufacturers, that they really represent more gun manufacturers than hunters and sportsmen. But um, you indicate that's not true, that it's still the heart of the organization are the, you know, gun owners who, um, hunters, sportsmen, people like target practice, uh, and, and those people. Well, it, it the, I, I think it's, it's, it's true to say that the, that the heart of the NRA's power comes from its ability to mobilize its members. I'm not saying that you know the support of the gun industry has no effect whatsoever. Uh, it certainly has some effect when it comes to money, but from the from the from the core of it, the NRA's power really does come from its ability to mobilize millions and millions of people. Okay, so the message of the NRA, particularly under Wayne Lapierre, has been the Second Amendment is absolute. Period. End of story. The one big test with that, which you write a lot about, is, of course, Sandy Hook, where this unbelievable massacre of 20, 20 first graders and six adults at Sandy Hook. Uh, and that was a real time of crisis for the NRA. Uh, how did Wayne LaPierre respond? 
Well, there's always been this internal division in the NRA between, you know, its lobbyists and the folks who need to go on Capitol Hill and explain the NRA's policy and, you know, the folks who are fundraising for the NRA, as well as those who are uh, in charge of increasing membership. Now, the people who want to fundraise and increase membership, they're, they're more interested in, in more radical messaging, things that will really get the base riled up. The lobbyists are a little less interested in that. They need to go face lawmakers and, and try to explain the, the, the NRA's position. After Sandy Hook happens, you see that the NRA really doubles down on culture war rhetoric and focusing only on Republican politicians and, and not at all uh, on moderate Democrats, as, as they had previously done in prior decades. You, you'll remember after Sandy Hook that uh, the NRA actually suggested more guns in school. Right. After schools after that shooting. And that was their kind of messaging. Um, it, it marked a real turn for the organization. They really doubled down at that time, right? More guns. That's, that's armed right. Guards schools. Is a real turning point for the National Rifle Association and what direction they're going to take in the decade to come. So um, is Wayne LaPierre still in charge today? The question is, to what extent has Wayne LaPierre been in charge all along? I yeah. think that's that's a fair question, uh, or or to what extent is he being manipulated by powerful people inside the NRA uh, who are benefiting greatly, benefiting to the tune of millions of dollars from him? Um, you know, he's still at the head; he's still the CEO and executive vice president, despite all of the problems that I've described, uh, from financial to legal. Uh, and what's interesting about it is we've been able to paint for the first time with misfire this portrait of his personality and what's actually happening behind the curtain inside this black box that is the NRA. Um, you know, this process took several years. I mean, we, we did over 120 interviews and obtained, uh, in very, by various ways, uh, hundreds of pages of secret depositions and NRA emails and inside documents in order to draw this picture. Our guest today, Tim Mack, a Washington investigative correspondent for NPR, who is out just today, this week, with a new book, powerful new book called Misfire, Inside the Downfall of the NRA. Uh, Tim, you already mentioned the investigation underway by the New York Attorney General, Letitia James. I want to ask you more about that after we take a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod. Hang in there. We'll be right back. And today's podcast with Tim Mack is brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the Teamsters Union, America's largest and most diverse labor union, with over one and a half million members representing every aspect of the American workforce, from vegetable workers in California to construction workers in Las Vegas, brewery workers in St. Louis, of course, bakery workers in Maine. As they say, they represent everybody from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers. We salute the good members of the Teamsters Union under President Jim Hoffa, thank them for their good work, and thank them especially for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website at teamster.org. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. 
fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. back today's podcast tim mack joining us from npr about the nra he's written a new book about it misfire inside the downfall of the nra uh before we get to the letitia james uh, uh, investigation tim tell us about maria butina suddenly <laughs> in the middle of the trump uh russia investigation we find out that the nra has its own Russian int- uh, kind of intrigue going on with this Russian spy, Maria Butina. How'd she get connected with the NRA and uh, what was the result? So Maria Butina was a Russian citizen who was living in Washington, D.C. for a period of time. And she was uh, a, a very odd character. She was someone who would introduce herself differently depending on the audience to some people she said she was a student to to other people she said she was a journalist to others she said she was a russian government official and still others she just said she was a second amendment and gun rights advocate which is of course a rare and odd thing to 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 be in in russia Uh, over a period of years maria butina is someone who tries to infiltrate the national rifle association and she uh, ends up taking a delegation of senior NRA officials to Moscow in 2015. To what purpose? It's interesting. You know, uh, when I started reporting out this book, the big question was, to what extent did Russia try to benefit the NRA? But what what I really found through this process is that Maria Butina really plays the NRA, and it shows just how malleable and chaotic and disorganized the National Rifle Association actually is. That this woman was able to network with senior leaders inside the NRA, top officials from the president to other uh, million-dollar donors inside the organization and so on, and was able to use the NRA to fund her activities and her efforts on behalf of the Russian government. Ultimately, she gets charged with conspiracy uh, to act as an unregistered uh, agent of the Russian government. And she's convicted and and ultimately deported. 
you also indicate that, and I think you said this earlier, that where the juice really started to run out, maybe for the NRA, uh, can be linked to their endorsement of Donald Trump, right? They went all in for Donald Trump in 2016, uh, ultimately to their disadvantage, correct? It's a real irony, right? Because they do so well when Democrats are in power, and they did really well during the Obama administration. They also want to see legislation pass, and they also want to you know, have their legislative priorities adopted. So they, they really pushed hard in 2016, uh, spending more money to support Donald Trump than even Donald Trump's own super PAC. You know, while Republicans were fleeing uh, from Donald Trump after the Access Hollywood videos, the NRA actually spends more, expands its ad buy for Donald Trump. So when Donald Trump is elected, it's kind of a surprise. It's a strategic surprise. I mean, they, they, the NRA just did not have a good strategy for how to deal with the loss of donor money that would inevitably come from a Republican presidency. And so that's when a lot of the squeezes start to occur. I mean, they're having trouble, like I was saying earlier, they're having trouble in this time frame, in the 2017, 2018 time frame, even playing their, paying their own staff. And what that leads to is a lot of questions about Hey, where has all this money been going all along? Mm-hmm. So, Letitia James, why in New York State? What was the connection? Well, so uh, a long time ago, 250 years ago, the NRA incorporated in New York. And Got so it. it's subject to rules in New York. And it's under, under the jurisdiction of the New York Attorney General and the Charities Bureau there. Uh, and what's the status of the investigation today? And what's she looking into? So, the investigation is really far advanced, so far advanced that the New York Attorney General has filed a complaint in court seeking to shut down the NRA entirely. And they're in litigation about this currently. To shut down the NRA, to put them out of business. To dissolve the organization entirely. That's what she's asking for the court's blessing to do. Now, of course, the National Rifle Association is pushing, pushing, pushing back on this. And one of the ways that the NRA tried to push back on this is that they declared bankruptcy last year. They were going to use bankruptcy law to give them cover, to restructure, leave New York, and go to Texas. Ultimately, a bankruptcy judge said this was not a filing in good faith and denied their uh, their attempt to do this. So now they're returning to litigation with the New York Attorney General. Right. Uh, I, I should have asked you earlier, uh, but there's another person here that I had never heard of before, uh, it's a big part of your book, who is their public relations genius, I guess, if you want to call him that, at the NRA, a guy named Angus McQueen. Uh, is he still in that position, and what's his clout at the NRA? Well, so Angus McQueen is someone who leads a PR firm called Ackerman McQueen. So Ackerman McQueen was for many, many years, for decades, the NRA's kind of strategic mind. It led their crisis communications. It led their strategy. It did their advertising. And, you know, they developed a very, very close relationship with the NRA's senior officials. I mean, Wayne LaPierre would call Angus McQueen his Yoda. Basically, they would talk many, many times a week, uh, almost every day, about the various strategies of the NRA. But over time, their relationship begins to fray. And by 2018, 2019, what you see is the, 
a kind of divorce happening between the NRA and Ackerman McQueen. But being the strategic mind of the NRA for so long, Ackerman McQueen had plenty of dirt on Wayne and the NRA. And you see, as that divorce goes on, uh, they're willing to say, well, hold on, what about all these things that you did? That's also a lot, some mm-hmm. of the source of how uh, so, uh, some of the misconduct and financial mis- misdeeds came to light. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so have you seen, you mentioned that their um, revenues obviously down, uh, their membership is obviously down for the NRA today. Have you seen any evidence there that their political clout is less than it used to be? Well, that remains to be seen, right? And especially it does hinge on how this court case with the New York Attorney General is going to go. But if you look at the landscape right now, you have a Democratic House, a Democratic Senate, Democratic White House, and there's no serious conversation about gun control or others might prefer to term it gun safety legislation. That is not really on the table. You don't see serious discussion about how that might pass Congress and get signed into law by a president. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, right. When that legislation comes back, we'll see how many are willing to stand up to the NRA. Um, Tim, the very first uh, campaign I ran in California was for a Republican state senator who was opposed by the NRA because he was, as a Republican, for some sensible gun safety measures at the state level. Uh, he won, elected to the state Senate, and was reelected to the state Senate, again, despite the opposition of the NRA. Um, what did you find in talking to some of your sources, Republicans, um, th- th- the same thing? I think of John Yarmouth, Democratic congressman from Kentucky, who proudly wears an F on his lapel because he was always given an F rating by the NRA, and yet he was elected and reelected and reelected. Um did you talk to any politicians about that willingness to stand up to the NRA and their success in doing so or lack I of? I think the question kind of hints at a broader, broader issue, right? Which is the politicization of, or is it the polarization of, of our political issues today? I mean, uh, in the two thousands, uh, it was not irregular or unusual for moderate Democrats to be, uh, highly supported by the NRA and, and some moderate Republicans to be opposed by them. Um, and the NRA has, uh, has become kind of a, a part of the polarization of our times. The, the, one of the major themes of the book is just like we've been talking about their turn towards the right uh, and, and their insistence on only supporting folks on the right after Sandy Hook. Uh, that's part of a broader political trend mm. that I think we're seeing in America. Oh, no, I think that's a very good point. That's right. And so they, they've gone as far right as they can, as absolute as they can, right? And they're banking on that, um, which it, 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 it'd be interesting to see because, I mean, you and I covering politics, uh, for example, the, the ban on assault weapons, right, which we had for 10 years, expired, never renewed under George W. Bush, not under Barack Obama, not under Donald Trump, certainly. Uh, Joe Biden, I'm sure, would support it. Be interesting to see if it could pass this Congress today, um, even with the NRA's opposition. Well, I, I think there's been legislation like that introduced in Congress, uh, as it is introduced quite regularly in Congress. Uh, the the thing is that 
you know, I, evidently there's no there's not sufficient support for it to pass the House, the Senate, and get signed into law. So, what is your take after your investigation and writing this book? Do you believe the NRA will survive? Well, what's interesting to me is that they've been resilient through a lot of these crises. I think that the answer really depends on something that's still in progress, which is the the legal uh, issue that's happening right now. The New York Attorney General does uh, present a grave threat to the existence of the National Rifle Association, and she has plenty of evidence to show just how poorly the NRA has been run over the last few years and decades. And she's got example after example of, uh, you know, exotic trips and private jets and uh, lavish meals and six figures in suits and and things like that. Um, So the question will be whether or not a judge agrees with her assessment of that and whether a judge will say the NRA has been so corrupt that it should be shut down based on its violation of nonprofit law. Have any other states joined in, or have there are there congressional investigations uh, looking into the same issues, or they just don't have jurisdiction? There have been multiple congressional investigations into the issue. I mean, there have been investigations by the House Oversight Committee, uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee, the Senate Finance Committee's Democrats. A number of congressional investigations uh, that have been have looked into the NRA's finances, but right now the real big game. In when it comes to this issue is the New York Attorney General and, and how it will fare in court. That's ongoing right now, and it will say a lot about the future of the NRA. Well, her investigation is shedding a lot of light on the NRA, and so are you, my friend, with your book. I love the title, by the way, Misfire, Inside the Downfall of the NRA. Uh, and Tim, we'll have a link to purchase the book on the uh, episode notes of this podcast uh, make it easy for people to get a copy and to read it and to keep up with your great work. Tim Mack, congratulations again. Thank you for joining us and uh, go get them. Keep on it. Thanks so much, Bill. That's it for today's podcast with Tim Mack. The book again is Misfire, Inside the Downfall of the NRA. And a link to buy the book is included in the episode notes to this podcast. We'll be back again on Friday with our reporters roundtable. And this week, is a big, big week at the Supreme Court in the Congress overseas with President Biden. Lots to talk about, so don't miss this week's roundtable on Friday at the Bill Press Pod. Meanwhile, take care of yourself, and we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.